Hey guys, welcome back. This is Luke, and I uh, want to jump back into our conversation about nutrition a little bit here. And, uh, you know, it's been a little while since we, uh, we last talked about it, but I want to jump back into it. We had a pretty good discussion in the Run Club, and this has kind of been evolving over the last month or so. So um, I, I brought up the idea of, of body type and um, you know, cause ultimately it keeps coming up, you know, carbs, no carbs, fat, protein, all the, all the macronutrients. And, and so, um, we've gone through general recommendations, a lot, a lot of general recommendations. And so eventually we do have to start breaking it down more into more specific and individualized needs. And, um, one area I find interesting is just, is based on, on your body type and we've talked about body type a lot in the past about how it's going to kind of dictate what you're going to be better at as a runner you know what sports you're going to be better at and things like that and it goes along the same lines of this because it's going to affect what your nutrition might look like as well and how to optimize that for your specific your specific body um, so I want to talk about that and go into the three body types that we've talked about in the past and um, so let's just jump in, take a look at those body types really quick, and then I want to kind of make a couple takeaways from that. So jumping right in, you have you have the ectomorph, and if you remember, the ectomorph is you know kind of your light and lean person, longer limbs. Um, they're going to be your your kind of your naturally thinner person. Um, that's what we've talked about in the past. But an ectomorph is actually also going to have a faster metabolism. Any excess energy that they take in is usually going to be burnt through activities like fidgeting. Um, they produce; they can tend to produce a lot of heat, and um, that's where that extra energy goes, right? So if they they take in a few extra calories, it's going to be taken care of that way. They're going to be easily satisfied. A lot of times, they're rarely hungry. They'll forget to eat. Um, I would say that's true for the most part, unless you're in heavy training. Like if I'm not training hard, I will sometimes forget to eat lunch. Um, it doesn't necessarily, I don't really feel hungry um, or I just get doing something and I just totally forget. And it's not, not that I'm so busy that I can't, but it's just, I'm not thinking about it. Um, they're going to be sympathetic nervous system dominant, which is going to be more thyroid, fight or, think fight or flight on that. So they're going to be more revved up. They're going to be ready for action. They want anything at the you know, they're going to be more, their metabolism is basically going to just naturally be a little bit higher. And they're going to be high carbohydrate tolerant. So um, what this looks like is they're going to be easily maintained like a lean normal to a lean athletic body fat percentage. And this is when they're trained, they're a trained person. If they're untrained, you can still pack on extra weight in, in terms of fat percentage. But when they're training, they're going to be lean, lean normal to more of a lean athletic body percentage. Um, they're going to be able to, they might struggle to put on muscle. Um, so you might see this person in the gym all the time and they just don't put muscle on. They can get stronger, but they just don't put the muscle mass on. Uh, general nutrition guidelines for these folks is going to be more 55% carbohydrate, 25% protein, 20% fat. So the kind of that more, what I guess what used to be kind of termed as your balanced nutrition, where it's going to be more carb focused than protein and fat. From a practical standpoint, what this looks like is uh, is more 
assuming you eat a roughly four meals a day, four smaller meals a day, just kind of spacing them out more regularly, men are going to have, you're going to look like six to eight palms of protein-dense food, six to eight fists of vegetables, 10 to 12 cups, cupped handfuls of carb-dense foods, and two to four thumbs of fat-dense foods. Uh, women, on the other hand, their day might look like four to six palms of protein-dense foods, four to six fists of vegetables, seven to nine cupped handfuls of carb-dense foods, one to three thumbs of fat-dense foods. And the reason why those those kind of measurements are used is, one, um, it's easily replicatable, right? Like you can easily look at your plate and to kind of compare that to a, a, a fist or a handful or a palm of food. You can make those easy comparisons. And also that is individually, right? So if you have a six foot four man, obviously his caloric needs are going to be more than a five foot woman, right? So her, her hands are probably going to be smaller. They're going to be more in tune with the size of her body, her caloric needs, and the same thing with, with the guy. So that's why those measurements are, are, are used. All right, so mesomorph, these are your more muscular person, medium balanced, naturally muscular, kind of middle of the road metabolism. Any excess energy they take on is usually going to actually going to go towards leading, uh, building lean muscle mass. Uh, normal appetite, hunger, satiation. Um, they are going to feel more hungry if they're active. Uh, they're going to be more testosterone and growth hormone dominant, which is, leads to more muscle mass building when extra calories are taken in. They're going to have more of a normal carb tolerance. So a uh, trained person might you know, just have a naturally above average muscularity with a with a lean normal to lean athletic body fat percentage. Uh, they have they may have more denser bones than average and their diet might be more like 40% carbs, 30% protein, 30% fat, and look like for men, six to eight palms of protein-dense foods, six to eight fists of vegetables, six to eight cups, cupped handfuls of carb-dense foods, six to eight thumbs of fat-dense foods. Women might look like four to six palms of protein-dense foods, four to six fists of vegetables, four to six cupped handfuls of carb-dense foods, four to six thumbs of fat-dense foods. And then lastly, we have the endomorph, which is going to be the heavier person, tend to have more body fat. They're going to have a slower metabolism. And any excess energy they take in, regardless of where it's coming from, is going to tend to be stored as fat. They're, off, they're often sensitive to appetite and hunger cues. They're less sensitive to satiation and satiety cues. So they're going to not necessarily feel full when physiologically they are full. They've eaten enough. Um, they're going to be more parasympathetic nervous system dominant, which means they're going to want to conserve energy. They increase digestion and gland activity. So when you increase your digestion, you basically slow down the process of food going through the stomach, intestines, and then excreting it out. And the reason that is it's pulling, it gives it more time to pull all the nutrients and all the, all the micro and macronutrients out of it. And so you're storing more, right? So that's why you see more, a slower metabolism and um, easier to put fat weight on um, and then obviously that means they're going to be lower than average carbohydrate tolerant and so this person is going to have denser bones than average they may have a fair amount of lean mass but still have a relatively higher body fat so they can be fit you know they can be trained and be fit but they're still going to be hard for them to get real lean looking um, their diet might be composed of something like 25% carbs 35% protein 40% fat. And so that's, I think that's key there when you look at that, because they're going to be the more person who is going to be struggling with weight loss, struggling with getting lean, struggling with muscle mass, 
but at no point should they really be, you know, 60, 70% fat or higher fat, you know, so it's, it's more of, it's a more, less carbs, higher protein, and a little bit more fat, but it's not necessarily, oh, all fat and a little bit of carbohydrate and protein. So I think I find that, I find that interesting and um, counterproductive to what a lot of people are saying out there. So Anyway, a, a, a men's daily diet might look like six to eight palms of protein-dense foods, six to eight fifths of vegetables, two to four cups of hand, handfuls of carb-dense foods, 10 to 12 uh, thumbs of fat-dense foods, and then women will be slightly less, and I don't know why I did not put that down in there. All right, so... Um, All right, so for women, this might look like four to six palms of protein-dense foods, four to six fifths of vegetables, one to three cups, cupped handfuls, I'm sorry, of carb-dense foods, and seven to nine thumb, thumbs of fat-dense foods. Okay, so that, I think, is a great way to look at things because it, it is something that you can kind of uh, individualize a little bit, but... Uh, I had a couple takeaways and caveats that I wanted to discuss on top of this. So what I just pointed out was that there is no point a macronutrient scaled so far back that another macronutrient has to make up for it. And what I mean by that is ultimately, guys, when people say they're fat adapted or, um, you know, I'm utilizing, I'm utilizing fat as a fuel, which is true with everybody. Me just sitting here, I'm utilizing fat as a fuel. When I'm exercising, I'm using fat as a fuel. But you're also using carbohydrate at the same time. And I can't stress that enough. And um, so even when you're fat adapted, yes, you might burn a higher percentage of fat, um, but you're also burning carbohydrate at the same time. And it's never going to be at a point where you're 100% fat as energy and things like that. And the other thing you have to recognize too is a lot of times, when, and this is more just basic physiology of, of, of keeping your brain healthy and your central nervous system healthy and your body overall healthy, is that you go through a process of glyconeogenesis. And what that basically means is the formation of new glycogen or glucose. And basically what your body is saying is that I don't have enough glycogen, so I'm going to form it out of other sources, right? And that could be protein or fat. So when somebody's eating all these extra things, essentially your body is like, hey, I need the glycogen, so I have to I have to take it from what's available. And so that just to me, just from a common sense standpoint, doesn't make sense as far as, okay, if I need glycogen, I have very healthy sources of glycogen that I can take in, you know. And I'm not talking, you know, so when people say they need the less carbohydrates, most of the time it's they need less processed processed foods and that's for most that's for most people in general anyway but um so you my, my point is that you don't necessarily cut out all of one macronutrient you were basically just shifting the priorities of it based on your body type so even a person who struggles with carb tolerance and is struggling with having extra fat weight on still needs to take in 25 percent of their daily diet of carbohydrate of quality nutritious carbohydrate and that's plenty of sources fruits veggies those types of things those are what we're talking about you know and somebody said well 
you know, an apple has fructose or whatever. Fructose is actually very low glycemic. If you look at glycemic charts, fructose is low. <laughs> Glucose itself is high. And that's what the whole scale is based on. That's 100 out of 100. And then fructose is actually very, very low. Anything under 55 is considered low glycemic. And you'd be surprised at what's actually on that list. So, you know, that's maybe, that's, you know, that's where us as coaches need to educate better, saying this is where, these are what actually are things you can have. Um, but that's what I think you get, we get all these scare tactics and, oh, I can't do this and I can't do that. Well, take a step back, let's take a step back and look at what really is going on from in, a, in the body. So that's the main thing I want to take away from that is that no nutrient is cut back. And so when we talk about, and that's the thing anyway, when somebody says they're going keto or whatever they're doing, um, you miss out on a lot of nutrients. So if you're going, you know, 70% fat or 90% fat or whatever you're going to do, where are you going to get those other nutrients? And that's another thing you have to ask yourself. So I got off topic a little bit there. I always get on a little bit of a soapbox with that. But now, I would say this, I've definitely shifted in the last several months. Like, I don't think that, you know, every person running needs to have a diet of 50 to 60 percent carbohydrate. But I certainly don't think that you just cut a nutrient out of your diet and assume that that's going to end well long term or even short term for the most part. And that's what I'm struggling with with um, a couple athletes now is, you know, I think they've recognized that they don't they don't. They, that's not sustainable for them. But mentally, our, our problem is bridging that gap where they know they need to be where they're at now. And that's, that's the tricky part. And that's where I'm finding out where I'm at as a coach on that and, and trying to get, you know, eventually you just have to scale way back and say, this is what I'm willing to do right now. And you just build on the smallest of positive change and positive habits that you can do you just, it's, it's a long process, right? You just give it time till that becomes a habit. And then you add another, another thing onto that. And then after, after a while, you can add another thing onto that. But it's definitely, you know, you figure how long it's taking you to get to that point. It's going to take you at least that long to get out of that point too. So, um, so I guess if you are trying to make that change, really whatever change you want to make, uh, it's, it's definitely a process. All right. So I went off tangent a little bit there, but um, the second point I wanted to make was that uh, these guidelines are for eating outside of what we call the workout window. And the workout window is the one to two hours before your workout, the workout itself, and then the one to two hour recovery window after the workout. So at a bare minimum, you're talking like three, a three hour window at the maximum, you're talking about a six hour window. Most people are going to fall somewhere in between. I don't think we have anything long enough to have you really concerned about a six hour window. But, and I think the better you are at, you know, we've talked about the pre um, stuff before, but during and post workout, if you're really on point with that nutrition, you can shorten those windows up uh, substantially. All right. So um, personally, I would, don't refer to easy runs as workouts. So I'm not, I'm not saying that this is a daily thing. So if you go for an easy run, I don't think you necessarily need to drastically change what you're doing in terms of eating for your body weight or your body type, but I'm referring to SOS days, um, speed, strength, tempo, long runs. These are runs that are usually long enough and intense enough to drastically change glycogen stores. And so even if you are fat adapted, like I mentioned, we need to replace those calories with quality carbohydrates because at no point are you burning 
100% carbohydrates. Again, me sitting here, I'm not burning. I'm actually burning more fat just sitting here than I am carbohydrate. And so the, the more you run, the faster you run, the longer you run, the more that glycogen becomes in, comes into play, regardless of how well you're adapted. All right, so um, with all the options out there nowadays, finding real food or quality options really is no longer an issue. There's so many options out there. Um, so whether it's real food or finding quality supplements, things like that, you can, you can find stuff that will work for you. Uh, Pre-exercise guidelines we have discussed previously, so I'm not going to go into those again. But during your workout, general guidelines are 30 to 45 grams per hour of exercise, and that's carbohydrate. This may be gel or a mixture of the right fluid. There seems to be a little bit of mixed thoughts on protein or branched-chain amino acids during exercise. But some say 15 grams of uh, BCAAs per hour will help with performance, and it kind of goes into... Uh, not necessarily muscle preservation, but more in terms of it somehow spares glycogen along the way, um, which I would def I will have to admit I would have to look into more. I'm not quite sure how that works, but um, there has been some studies that have shown that to be be the case, and I think that's more when you talk about a less carb tolerant person, and so those branch chain amino acids actually become more of a fuel per se for them. Uh, but also I've seen a lot of research that if those branched chain amino acids are in the bloodstream, as soon as you're done with exercise, then their uptake into going into proteins and, and doing all the things that they need to do is much faster. And so your recovery can actually be much faster. So it's just something to experiment with, um, especially if you're less carb tolerant. Um, as far as recovery, um, again, there's a bit of discussion how much is needed, but I would recommend 15 to 20 grams up to 40 grams of high quality protein or branched chain amino acids. Like, you know, if you followed me on Instagram, you've seen me post um, the, the recovery, two of the recovery things I do. And one's a branched chain amino acid along with um, a really high quality sports drink where I'm getting 15 grams of branched chain amino acids just because I can't necessarily take in food or protein, uh, like a shake, right after exercise. So that buys me a little bit of time. But then within the next hour, I'm usually taking uh, a high-quality protein shake with, with the carbohydrates and stuff like that. So, um, so that's where that, you know, as soon as you're done to two hours later, is super critical to getting those things in. Um, but I would say, again, I would say 15 to 20 grams, up to 40 grams of high-quality protein, undenatured way, by far the best. Um, or a high-quality branched-chain amino acid, then I would say 80 grams of a mix of high-glycemic to low-glycemic carbohydrates, two-to-one ratio of glucose to fructose to enhance replacement of what you utilize during the workout. So um, so the, the a glucose, obviously, is a high-glycemic, but your blood sugar is probably going to be a little bit lower after a hard workout or a long workout where you've, where you've depleted that glycogen source so you need that spike to get that blood to get that blood sugar taken care of and then it's going to get to the muscles faster um, and then the the fructose is actually like I, like I said is a lower glycemic which is going to kind of uh, mellow out that spike so it's you have that you have that initial burst into the bloodstream which you need to replace and then you have kind of a longer um, carbohydrate that's coming you know that's going to be a slower release into the bloodstream and it's going to kind of normalize that that uh, blood sugar spike. So um, 
so then and then if you can do that really quickly after your workout then you can go into um, your normal eating patterns a lot sooner so um, so once outside your workout window assuming that you adhere to the workout nutrition keep your nutrition to the recommendations given to your body type so you really have to kind of look at it in two pieces you have your nutrition to, to satisfy your daily living and then you have your nutrition to meet your exercise requirements and it's really two you can almost look at it as two different things and then but how you how you handle your um, exercise nutrition is going to dictate uh, how well you can adhere to your body type nutrition or in your daily daily nutrition just to get through you know living life um, so that that's important to look at and so the one is going to have an effect on the other and if you can't do one well it's going to affect the other well, or it's going to affect, affect the other one very, very, uh, um, very critically. So you have to keep that in mind. Um, and I'm just going on because I feel like nutrition, we know how to train hard. And if you have a schedule, you have something to follow, right? But with nutrition, there's so much and it can get overwhelming really quick. And so I, I feel like um, I feel like when people get overwhelmed, they just shut it down and they go to what's easiest for them. And so the whole idea here is to give you strategies that you can implement fairly easily that's going to expand your knowledge base and expand your comfort zone into kind of recognizing that if you're training specifically, especially for a marathon or anything like two, three, four, five, six hours in length, that your nutrition is going to look different than the person who is sedentary or the person who is just out there recreationally, right? The person out there just running an hour a day in to maintain overall health their nutrition's not going to look the same as yours putting in 40, 50, 60, 70 plus miles a week with workouts, with performance goals in mind. We have to shift that mindset that, that part of what you need, especially if you're trying to lose weight, yes, we have, to, we have to look at that component. But then we also have to look at the component of allowing yourself maximal performance and recovery from those workouts to allow your body to make those changes that you want because at the end of the day if you don't provide the right fuel that your body needs at the right time it's not you're you're going to be you're, you're ultimately going to just be stuck and you're going to be spinning your wheels and so um and that's either going to be in weight loss or it's going to be plateauing in your performance because you're ultimately going to limit that ceiling of how you can perform if you're not providing the right fuel but if you're not doing, providing the right fuel, then you're ultimately going to be uh, limiting how you're able to lose lose the, the fat weight and, and maintain muscle mass and things like that. So, um, so I, I, my goal is that hopefully this helps you with that. It gives you a strategy that you can use and kind of say, okay, yeah, I don't need to eat you know a whole day of, of carbohydrates just because I'm training for a marathon. But I do, however, need to make sure that I'm fueled properly for my workouts. Right. And at the end of the day, if I can just get you to do that, I feel like you're going to take a big step and kind of separate the two things 
um, and even maybe three things like my performance to my daily living to my my weight loss or whatever or transformation however you want to say it I can separate those three things but recognize that they're all you know connected at the same time but how I treat one is not necessarily how I'm going to treat the other because I think we just lump it all into one thing at times and it's like well I can only eat avocados because I can't tolerate carbs, you know, and, and, and that's not necessarily the case. Um, and I think too that, you know, this is, you know, I don't want to pick on an athlete of mine, but you know, they're really struggling with, you know, they've been keto for a long time. They were, a, they were not a runner and it worked for them. But now that they're a runner, they recognize this isn't going to work anymore, especially with the performance goals that they have in mind but it was all lumped into like, oh, I need to, I can't, I've got to lose 30 pounds and this is what worked for me in the past, but they were a different person then, you know, and ultimately I know that if I can just get them to make small changes with adding a little bit more carbs here and there, that ultimately they're going to be able to tolerate the carbs better um, and they're actually going to be able to vastly improve their diet, improve their natural nutrient intake, have a healthier life and perform better and still probably lose the weight that they want to lose. So it's just, uh, it's just a matter of taking a step back and looking at those things and trying not to get overwhelmed. And really, I'll have to, we'll have to do some more discussion on it, but basically saying, okay, well, this is where I want to be. What do I need to work on? And really get to the smallest possible thing that you know you can change and then gradually add on to that and recognize it where I'm at to where I want to be is going to be a process, you know, and, and the sooner we adapt that is the faster that that's going to become a reality. But if we just try to take on too much at one time, like I said, we tend to get overwhelmed and it just, it falls apart. You know, and I, I know this from my own experience, like in this, not necessarily with food, but with, you know, adding weight training or adding, you know, the details here and there, and, and, uh, you're like, well, there's so much out there. Where do I even begin? And it's like, well, screw it. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna fall back on what I'm comfortable with. And what I'm comfortable with is what I wanted to change. So we have to, um, we have to recognize that. But that's definitely a discussion for another day. Hopefully this helps you navigate some of the waters a little bit. And I, obviously I recognize this is going to be an ongoing discussion and, uh, a long-term process type of thing. So, um, so, but thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this, please, please consider joining the Run Club, um, purchasing a plan, purchasing coaching. We have great, great coaches out there um, who are definitely wanting to help you reach your best. And ton of resources in the Run Club, adding more all the time. And uh, just check out LukeHumphreyRunning.com. And uh, I hope you enjoyed this. I hope it helps you a little bit. And uh, we'll talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye.